Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you.
come alive in you. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Yeah. How many want God to move in their hearts? How many believe that that can happen? Right where you're at. this song with us.
shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me.
Father, we place doubt and fear with strength, God. I'm not enough unless you come. Won't you meet me here again? Because everything I am is all you are. Would you meet me here again? I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Unless you come, will you meet me here again? Is all I am. Is all you are. Won't you meet me here again? He will meet you here. He will meet you here. He's going to meet you right there. Right in the middle of your situation. He's more than enough for me. More than enough for you. He's always been there. He's always been there. Come on, let's worship. Let's lift our hands and worship. He's in this place. He's in this place. In this place. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. He's here, he's here, not for a minute, not for a minute.
I, I want to go into the word of the Lord, if you will, uh, with me. If, if you could, uh, go with me to the book of 3 John. 3 John has one chapter, and I'm going to be reading uh, from that in verse 4. And the Bible reads as so, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Let's pray and let's ask God to minister to us. Father, I pray in his house that you would minister to the minds and souls of the people, that we would be transformed through your word, that your word would not return to you void, but that it would accomplish what you set it out to do. I pray, O oh God, wherever this is being transmitted to, that people would receive it, O oh God, with the heart to change and to not just hear, but listen and appropriate and then manifest what they hear into action. And we pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. I want to speak to you here the next several uh, minutes on this subject, my greatest joy, my greatest joy. The book of Matthew uh, spells out for us what has been commonly called the Great Commission, the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is that we should go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that the Lord has commanded us. Then his promise is that he will be with us always, even to the end of the age. That is the Great Commission. For the most part, the church has been faithful to the first part of the Great Commission. We have evangelized most of the known world today. Even remote parts of the world have been reached. And uh, we feared at one point that the gospel would never reach those places. But even then, the gospel, even so, the gospel has reached those places. I'm, I'm here to tell you that outreach efforts have been expanded throughout the years to include things like concerts and crusades, small groups, get-together street services, flyer distribution, TV advertisements, radio broadcasts, and, and social media, and so forth. I'm pleased to say that one glance at Twitter on any given Sunday uh, will tell you that the church is baptizing record number of people in today's day and age. We are fulfilling the first part of that commission. We are going to all of the nations. However, as impressive as going to the nations and preaching the word is, many have sadly neglected that part of the Great Commission that has to do with teaching, teaching. Because uh, Matthew 28, 20 tells us that we should not only baptize them, but that we should also teach them to observe all things that Jesus commanded. There are many baptisms, but few are being taught to obey Christ's commandments. That is what I personally call the great omission, the great omission. We have omitted discipleship from the great commission. And today, I would like to introduce to you the group that has been omitted the most from the Great Commission. Thank God we have preached the gospel throughout most of the known world. 
The gospel has been preached from the Sahara Desert to primitive tribes living near the Amazon River and Brazil jungles and rainforests. It has been preached in the Peruvian hills and how about in temperatures way below freezing level to the tribe of Eskimos in Alaska. The gospel has reached there. What about the Middle East and Asia to a people who are antagonistic sometimes to the gospel of Jesus Christ? There has the gospel been preached. But there is a certain group that has been ignored. This group from, uh, you know, is before our very eyes on a daily level. We have omitted this group from our responsibility to disciple them. This is not a group that is found overseas. You don't have to go to Europe to find them. You don't have to go to Asia to find them. You don't need a passport to get there. You don't need a visa. You don't have to take additional vaccines to help defend against certain native diseases. Ladies and gentlemen, this group is called family. This group is called family. We forget sometimes that that baby that was born in our household, once he outgrows his innocence, he is not saved simply by association because he's associated to us. No. He, uh, he's not saved simply because he lives in our homes or because we have a relationship with Jesus or because we are prayer warriors or I'm a minister of such and such a church. No, God does not have grandchildren. God only has children. And the word of God makes every single person responsible for their own individual sins regardless of what household they come from. If there is someone that needs to be evangelized, it is your children. If there is someone that needs to be discipled, it is your children. If there is someone that needs to be stimulated to love and good works, it is your spouse. If someone needs to understand the gospel clearly, above all, it is my family. My family. I was reading uh, the other day uh, in a book, and uh, I read this this statistics, and I want to share it with you. Dr. Kara Powell of the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Seminary, she conducted a survey which only conducted or counted adults who were a part of the church or youth group when they were uh, growing up or, or had graduated from high school. And her estimate based on multiple surveys was that up to 50% of young people do not stick with their faith once they were in college. Up to 50% of young people don't stick with their faith once they get into college. Well, I I will admit that we're living in a day where anti-Christian ideologies and philosophies are being taught in our colleges. But before you hypothesize, that college is the evil that is causing young men and women to stray from their Christian roots and upbringing, let me just share this. Britt Beamer of the American Research Group studied only those who said they attended church every week when they were growing up, but never or seldom attend today. And after more than 20,000 phone calls, he came to a shocking revelation. 
of those who reported they no longer believed the Bible was true, only 11% had their doubts in, in, uh, in college. Only 11%. 44% first had their doubts in high school. And 40% first had their doubts in middle school. Do you know what that's telling me? In other words, we are not losing our children at the university level. We are not losing our children at the college level. We are losing many of the hearts of our children in junior high school. Junior high school, when they're 12 and 13 years old, even though we don't lose their bodies until later, we lose their hearts when they're young. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you, that's why after God, your family ought to be first. Your family ought to be first. I thank God, you know, uh, out of the many atrocities that are happening around the world with this pandemic and uh, the COVID-19, one of the great advantages that or the great, you know, benefits that we see from the COVID-19 deal is that it's bringing parents who have dedicated their life to work and making money and getting ahead. It's bringing Christian parents back to the home. And this is a great opportunity that you have. Don't hang your head low because maybe you're short on money. God is giving you an opportunity right now, men, to be the priest of your home, to bring your families in, to preach to them and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In the Bible, before there was a world to reach, there was a family. Before there was a church, there was a family. Before there was a pastor and an altar and a building and a board of directors and an usher board and musicians and small groups and singers, there was a family. Before there was a Bible, there was a family. Before there were Ten Commandments, there was a family. You know why? Because the family will always come first. Can I tell you that the Bible never addresses the family as a church, but it figuratively refers to the church as a family over and over again. You know why? Because the family is the church's model and not the other way around. The church is never, or the family is never called the church, but it is the church that is called the family. In the book of Galatians 6.10, the church is called the household of faith. You know why? Because of the family. We, we call each other's brothers and sisters. Do you know why? Because of the family. You we, we call God Father. Why? Because of the family. You know, we are all the children of God. Why? Because of the family. And in order to come into the church, according to John 3, 5, you must be born again. Why do we have to be born again? Because that's how you come into a family. You are born into a family. And just in case you say, well, I was adopted. I wasn't born into this family. Well, I've got news for you. You've also received the spirit of adoption whereby you call him Abba, Father. Why? Because of the family. And the church is figuratively called the bride of Christ. And someday we will get married at the marriage supper of the Lamb because of the family. So there is absolutely no question in my mind that the family, no matter how you slice it, family will always come first. Family will always come first.
Can I tell you that the gift of parenthood, it comes with an immense responsibility to do everything in our power to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Discipleship starts at home. Discipleship starts at home. You who are watching via online or this live stream right now, I'm telling you, you are at the place where discipleship ought to start. It ought to start at home. It does not start at the church it starts at home that's why Paul admonished in the book of Ephesus and you fathers do not provoke your children into wrath but bring them up in training and admonition of the Lord and we have the solemn calling of raising our children to be fully developing disciples of Jesus Christ when my firstborn son was placed in my arms for the very first time. I remember I felt the weight and the burden of raising a child whose soul would either spend eternity with Jesus or an eternity in hell come over me. That burden came over me because the greatest responsibility that God has gifted me in my ministry is not to evangelize and disciple a lost world, although I take that responsibility very seriously. But the greatest responsibility that God has given to me is to disciple my own children, my own children. And lest you think that I'm talking about an individual call to me because I'm some sort of minister and I should be an example. No, this is not an isolated call. No, uh, may I remind you every single father has been given this responsibility to teach the next generation the word of God is the responsibility of every parent. And may I say this is not the primary responsibility of your Sunday school. It is not the primary responsibility of children's church or, or the youth group. This is your God given responsibility as a parent the church is only a secondary complementary help but God has gifted us the primary responsibility to teach our children the ways of the Lord that's why the very first words that came out of my mouth when both my boys were placed in my arms both Caleb and Micah the very first words that came out of my mouth were not hello they were not nice to meet you they were not I am your daddy and we're going to have a blast or look how big your nose is that were those were not the very first words that came out of my mouth the very first words that came out of my mouth as I whispered in their ears was this here oh Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one and you shall love your God with all of your heart with all of your soul and with all of your strength and you know why I spoke those words into their ears it's because the bible has taught us that even if you read the next verses following this deuteronomy 6 4 you read the next verses and it'll tell you and these words which i command you today shall be in your heart so you've got to have it in your heart parents you can't give it you can't give to your children something you don't have yourself it says you've got to have it in your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk to them or of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you wake up. I, I was reading the other day about a Hebrew tradition. It said that when the Hebrew parents 
were wanting to teach their children this, this commandment right here, this, this Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God is one Lord. When, when they were teaching this to their children, even from birth, what they would do is they would put their finger, dip it in honey, and they would, they would let the, the, the child stick his tongue out and put a little honey in their tongue. And then they would, they would recite this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your God, is the Lord, is one. And I'm telling you, what the reason they did that is because they wanted that child to associate the word of God with what was good, with what was pleasant, with what was sweet, with what was becoming. They wanted them to know, listen, when I speak the word, when I, when you learn the word, when you hear the word, when you read the word, oh, come, taste and see that the Lord is good, that his mercy is everlasting. Amen. Over and over again, the Bible reminds us of this immense responsibility that we have of teaching our children the word of God and promulgating God's oral tradition. I was reading in uh, Joel 1.3 and it says, tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. It is our primary responsibility to teach our children the ways of the Lord. See, God's first commandment to mankind was not a spiritual one. It was not one concerning the ministry. It was not one concerning the church. God's first commandment to mankind was one concerning the family. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And I cannot stress enough how this is our primary responsibility as parents not the ministry not the church not work that is not your primary responsibility your primary responsibility is the family the family this should be your daily obsession how can I disciple my child today God give us the creativity to be able to disciple our children Charles Spurgeon said it this way he said first let us begin by emphatically declaring that it is parents, fathers in particular, and not the church who are given the primary responsibility for calling the next generation to hope in God. The church serves as a supplementary, a supplementary role, reinforcing the biblical nurture that is occurring in the home. You see, these men of yesteryear have come to an outstanding conclusion. And that is that though the family is not the only method of discipleship, but it is the primary method of discipleship that God is using. Can I tell you, parents, this work is messy. This work is sometimes inefficient. At times, it is outright rewarding, or, or and sometimes it is frustrating. But many times, sometimes it's depressing, sometimes it's burdensome, sometimes it's exhausting. But can I tell you, it is also so a glorious and a noble call. I, I beg you, please do not give up on your children. I know, I know how tough it is to raise children in this generation, but please don't ever give up on your children. Not in prayer, not by not in teaching the word of God to them. It is our responsibility. We are home at this moment. We've been home this whole month. Why? Because it is is our primary risk. God, I think 
God has orchestrated it so that we would be home in order to come back to teaching our children the word of the Lord. And can I, sociologist uh, Dr. Christian Smith, he surveyed more than 3,000 teenagers conducting 250 in-depth interviews and his conclusions echo what the Bible says. He said most teenagers and their parents may not realize it, but a lot of the research in the sociology of religion suggests that most the, the most important social influence in shaping young people's religious lives is the religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents by their listen no more excuses we can't keep making excuses i don't care what hollywood is doing i don't care what washington dc is doing i don't care what your local politician is doing i don't care what the curriculum is at your school i don't care what kind of music the entertainment industry is bringing out this is what dr christian smith said he said the most important social influence in shaping young people's religious lives is the religious life modeled and taught to them by their parents it doesn't matter what netflix and youtube and social media are pu putting out there it's what you're doing what are you doing with your life what are you doing when you read the word how are you living out your christianity that's how your children will also more than likely follow and even the secular world understands this principle. It understands this biblical principle. There's a, a Chinese proverb that says, one generation plants the tree and another gets the shade. One generation plants the tree and the other generation is the one that gets the shade. Can I tell you, the kind of shade that your children will enjoy tomorrow is in direct correlation to the kind of trees that you are planting today. The kind of shade your children are going to enjoy tomorrow is in direct correlation to those trees that you have planted planted today and some of you will say well uh that's what we have the church for that's what we have uh, the children's pastor for that's what we have the sunday school and the youth group is there for this uh, to teach my children uh, so that I, I don't have to worry about that spiritual so let me let me tell you something brothers and sisters you cannot keep outsourcing your responsibility to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the lord you know why I would never hire another man to stand in the wedding of my child or to show up at his graduation or to attend one of their birthday parties I wouldn't hire another man to do that I wouldn't let another man teach my boys how to shave or how to drive a car or how to catch a ball or how to dress properly or how to open the door for a woman I would not hire another man to do these things for me because I feel innately that this is my response so why then is it so easy for us to let another man or another woman be the primary teacher of our sons in the things of God? No, it is my responsibility. I must teach my family. I must teach my household the ways of the Lord. Our text says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. See, John was obviously referring to his spiritual children, but uh, it easily applies to biological children or any child that has come under your tutelage. My greatest joy was John's greatest joy. It is to hear that my children are walking in truth. 
And oh, how many parents I know of, some that might even be watching me right now. So many parents that carry the burden of children who have been taught the word of God from an early age, but when they got to a certain age where they could make decisions for themselves, they chose to no longer walk with God as adults. Charles Spurgeon said, there is no heavier cross to carry than that one. There is no heavier cross to carry than that one. The burden and anguish that a parent feels knowing that Jesus is coming back soon, that any day can be my child's last day on this earth. Have I done enough? Have I said enough? Have I discipled enough? Have I taught enough? Have I modeled enough? You know, I understand that anguish and you can't keep killing yourself over decisions that were made you know that that is not your issue anymore they've got to make decisions on the se themselves for themselves and you can't keep killing yourself for that but oh if you have your children under your tutelage and under your roof as long as you have them under could you please hear the words of this preacher while they're still there do everything in your power to shape their thinking to shape their thought pattern to have them believe and be disciples and their hearts be regenerated to love the Lord this is not an easy task but it is a challenge that you have to take head on because this is a challenge that God has given to every single parent that while they're in my home God help me be a conduit of your word to my children that they may know the Lord and they may put their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ oh if God would help me stimulate someone never to stop praying for your children until 100% of them are completely sold out to God. You know, I'm going to tell you, if my children lose the crown of life, then it is of little consolation to me that they gain MVP trophies in basketball. If my children lose the crown of life, then it is of little consolation to me if they have Grammy awards and valedictorian honors and doctorate degrees. Uh, see, above all, I want my children to be saved. I want my boys to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Above all, this is my personal calling. We all have to finish that sentence in my text. I have no greater joy than what for John it was that his children walked in truth to hear that my children walked in truth oh but I know of some parents that will say I have no greater joy than that my children married into an accomplished family well that's a good joy you ought to hope for that but that should not be your greatest joy some parents will say I have no greater joy that my kids graduated from college with highest honors that's a good joy but that shouldn't be your greatest joy some will say i have no greater joy that my children became model citizens of society that's a great joy but that's not your greatest joy i'm telling you my greatest joy is the same joy that john had to hear that my children walk in truth that is my greatest joy just last year i remember getting a text 
text from Caleb, my eldest son, and it was close to midnight, and I, I was out of town uh, uh, doing a preaching event, and he called me, uh, or he texted me, and it was close to midnight, and he said, Dad, he said, I, I know I'm not supposed to be on the phone. We have a strict rule around my, my home that my children are not allowed to be on the phone after 9.30 at night, and so, and so he said, Dad, I know I'm not supposed to be on the phone, but I, I'm sorry I had to come back, and, and I had to text you, uh, uh, Dad, I've been praying, and uh, I, I just feel like God is, is calling me to ministry. Dad, at what age were you called um, to ministry? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you right now, after all that my children, personal children, have been through, to hear that my children walk in ministry and walk in truth, that is my greatest joy. There is no greater joy on earth than to hear that my children walk in truth. I've been privileged enough to see my boys, uh, you know, one of them score 40 points in a in a junior high school championship game. Uh, I, I've, I've been privileged enough to see him score the last points of the game and win his championship for his school. I've been privileged enough to see them get presidential awards for academia and, and, and their stuff at school. I've been privileged enough to see all of it, but I'm telling you, none of those things were my greatest joy. My greatest joy was when I baptized both of my children in the name of Jesus Christ that June two years ago and to hear them say we are going to serve the Lord together forever I'm telling you that is my greatest joy and I pray right now that that would be your greatest joy that God would stir your heart as well for them I'm uh, I'm going to close with this when God decided to choose a nation with whom he could interact through them with the world, you know, the Lord chose a man to be their father. That man's name was Abraham. Well, Abraham was not the kind of man that we would normally choose to lead a nation. Abraham was 75 years old when the Lord called on to him. He came from an idolatrous nation. It was said of Ur, where, where Abraham uh, came from, that there were more deities than there were people in Ur of the Chaldeans. He had a wife that was sterile. She couldn't even bring forth a child. He was not the kind of man that you and I would choose. Why then did God choose Abraham of all the young men, strong, willing, educated, wealthy, and with young brides who were not sterile? Why would God choose Abraham? I believe that Genesis 18 gives us the answer. It says, and the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. I, I believe that was a rhetorical question. And God himself answered and said, uh-uh, I'm not going to hide it. Well, why are you not going to hide this from him? I'm going to tell you why he wasn't going to hide all this revelation from Abraham. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him. That they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. He said, I've known Abraham. He's the kind of man that is going to lead his household and teach his children. 
And that's why I'm going to choose him. And that's why I'm not going to forbid any revelation from him. That's why I'm choosing him. The reason that God chose an elderly man with a body that was as though it were dead, according to Romans 4, is because the Lord could trust him to command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord. See, when God set out to look for a father of a nation, a leader of his people, a shepherd of his sheepfold, he didn't go looking into Harvard School of Business. He didn't look for contract closing capabilities. He didn't search out great charisma. He didn't look out in America's got talent. He didn't look for leadership skills or public speaking qualities. No, he looked for a man who knew how to teach his children the ways of the Lord. That is still what God is looking for today. God is looking for families to say, oh God, put it in us. Put it in us. Give us the creativity. Give us, give us the passion. Give us the desire to teach our children the ways of the Lord. Let me lead you in prayer right now. If you're with your family, if you don't have a family yet, you're, you're still unmarried, then why don't you pray with us about how God can start using your heart you know how God can start developing your emotions your passions your heart your desires so that you can be that when you when you get there if you ever get there and desire to get there and then also if you have a family with you you're watching with your family why don't you come together as a family I I, I challenge you father why don't you pray with your kids even as I as I as I minister to you through this prayer why don't you pour a blessing over them why don't you vow before God that you will lead your family in the ways of the Lord you sing mother if you're watching and you're a single mom why don't you go before the Lord right now and you say God give me the ability and the strength and the creativity to know how to raise these children allow me the opportunity to bring them around good men that would that would nurture them and model to them what it is to be a godly man and to teach them the ways of the Lord Oh, we need this. We need to be home and to bring up our children. This is our greatest joy. Come on and pray with me. Father, we come before you even now and we ask that you would minister to us in our families and that by the power of your spirit, oh God, that we are moved, that we are shaken to our core and that we act upon this. Give us the strength and the anointing, O oh God, to be able to raise our children in your nurture and admonition, that they may hear of you, that they may put their hope in you, that we may do our duties and that we may raise them so that our children will tell their children and so that their children will tell the next generation and so that the oral tradition of the gospel and what you have done for us at cross, the cross of Calvary will never be lost that we would understand this and that we would put it into action. That is my prayer today. In Jesus' name, we pray. God bless you so much, and I pray that this has been a blessing to you. God bless you. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.